Uh, tonight's reading is from Luke 11, 5 through 13. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me these three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children— how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. We will be uh, heading for vacation in the morning, and if you all need anything, please contact the church office and the shepherding team, and Jill will, will, will take good care of you. Brother Daryl Arnold from Overcoming Believers Church will be here next Sunday night, and Kind of tonight's Pentecost one. That'll be Pentecost two. So, uh, and it'll be much more exciting than, than anything we do tonight. It'll be good though. It'll be good tonight. I promise. There was a whole lot going on on Thursday evening, May twenty fifth. Uh, the Cavs were creaming the Celtics. Chris Blue was singing and dancing his way to the Voice. I heard he showed up at the concert last night for David. Montalero, that's beautiful. Uh, President Trump was in Brussels. There were lots of stories about the health care bill. It was also a big night for the church. It was Ascension Day. Uh, Ascension Day occurs 40 days after Easter, 10 days before Pentecost. The Gospel of Luke refers to it. The Book of Acts refers to it. That's the day when Jesus Christ ascends back into the heavens where he reigns and leads his people, the church. Next year, I think we'll make it a point to have some kind of a celebration of that. When you, do, when you don't celebrate Ascension Day and you celebrate Christian, Christmas, Easter, and Pentecost, it's like skipping the third act of a four-act play. So next year we will do better. Christ's Ascension is very important to his followers, because it reminds us that he has been exalted as Lord of all, and that even now, right now, he is advancing his healing mission in the world through his church, that we are his body, he is the head of the body, and that he is present with us tonight as his body. And that means that as Christians and as a church, we really have one job before all the other jobs. And that one job is to live in vital union with him as the head of our church. Uh, That really is the core of what it means to be a Christian, to live in union with him. The goal of the Christian life is to be drawn into the very life of God. Now, Jesus summarizes uh, this in his instructions to the disciples just before he dies in John 15, 4. 
<laughs> I'm going to do, if you would look up at the slide with me. Um, uh, to my right, uh, abide in me and I in you. The word abide means to remain, to draw life from, to be in union with. And so Ascension Day reminds us that we as the people of God are to abide with Christ, to to live in vital union with Christ. And There's a traditional prayer for Ascension Day. Many churches celebrate it on Sunday rather than Thursday uh, because it's hard to compete with the voice. Um, and there's a traditional prayer, it's called a collect, that expresses uh, what we're worshiping about tonight like this. Almighty God, whose blessed Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things, mercifully give us faith to perceive that according to his promise, he abides with his church on earth, even to the end of the ages. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God and glory everlasting. Amen. Well, how do we do that? How do we abide with Christ? How do we live in vital union with Christ? Well, it depends on who you ask. Uh, Evangelical Christians remind us that we abide with Christ through his word. John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. So uh, the evangelical part of the church reminds us that the way that we stay in vital union with Jesus is through the scriptures by meditating on them, reading them, hearing them preached, teaching them. That's something that we Try to do a lot at All Souls. We encourage you to personally spend time in the Word every day. Past 40 years, almost every morning I've gotten up and spent time in the Bible. That's one way that we abide with Christ is through the Word of God. Charismatic Christians remind us that we abide with Christ through the Spirit. And that's really what we remember tonight. Jesus who ascended into heaven, pours out the Spirit onto the church at Pentecost. He's now present with the church through the Spirit. And this is all through the Gospel of John, too. He tells the disciples to abide in him, and then he promises to lead them, to guide them, to convict them of sin. At the end of the Gospel, there's this marvelous climax where he calls the disciples to him, lays hands on them, and says, uh, receive the Holy Spirit and breathes on them. So how do we abide in Christ? The charismatic Christians remind us that we do so through the Holy Spirit. Sacramental Christians remind us that we abide in Christ through the sacraments. When a sacramental Christian reads the Gospel of John, she is struck by John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us which is really an amazing thought that the invisible, awesome God uses human flesh to reveal himself to us. We call this the sacramental principle that God uses the stuff of creation to connect with us. And so for the sacramental Christian, physical and tangible things can be ways that we are drawn into the life of God. A sacrament is a means by which God's divine presence is manifested in the midst of the believing community. 
So God uses bread and wine to draw us into his life. John 6, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. So when we come tonight, when we partake at the Lord's table, we are abiding in Christ. Sacramental Christians remind us that John 3 says that we have to be born again by water and spirit. The early Christians read this to refer to baptism, that the waters of baptism are an outward sign of an invisible grace. And sacramental Christians also understand that time itself can help us abide in Christ. Our culture marks time by uh, sports seasons and television shows and a 24-hour news cycle. But sacramental Christians teach us to live within the circle of the Christian year. The church calendar leads us through Christ's birth and life and death and resurrection, his ascension, then Pentecost, and then the growing and expansion of the church. We're all shaped by our stories. And you can be shaped by the stories of our culture, which are so often dystopian and hopeless and violent and centered in greed and despair. Or you can be living out of a deeper story, one that points to the hope and healing of Christ. So how do we abide in Christ? The sacramental Christian says we do so through the sacraments. Now, Dan Fry uh, can do anything with a graphic, and, and I asked him to uh, see if he could come up with a, a vision of that. And All Souls Church um, has a vision of being a worshiping community where the river of the Spirit flows powerfully between the banks of word and power. Let me read that again. This is something that we've said from the very beginning. We don't always do it, but it's what we want to be. All Souls seeks to be a worshiping community where the river of the Spirit flows powerfully between the banks of word, and actually that should be sacrament. Uh, Sacrament, sorry about that. Um, Now, I believe there's another slide there where Dan has kind of fleshed that out a little bit more. Is there? Okay, maybe the wording didn't come out on it, but if you can envision this river of the Spirit pouring powerfully through the banks, and on the left is the word, and on the right is the sacrament. Now, sometimes rivers flow more powerfully than others. Uh, Bride and my daughter and I have uh, competed in a, something called the River Rat Race every June for the past six years, and we go down to Chattanooga on the first Saturday in June, and we swim in the Tennessee River. Uh, and the race depends a lot on how much it's rained. Last year, there was a drought, and the river was like a pond, and the race took forever. This year, there had been so much rain that you had to hold on to the dock at the start so you wouldn't be swept away. The river flows depending on how much rain there's been. And the same thing is true in our personal and our communal spiritual life. You've experienced this, I'm sure. Sometimes the river of the Spirit flows more powerfully than at other times. Now, here's an important question I want us just to spend the last few minutes thinking about. 
Do we as Christians have any say in how fast the river flows? When I was in seminary, I took a class on revival. And uh, a revival historically is a time when the river of the Spirit is flowing very fast. Uh, when there's great uh, signs of God's power and presence, people are deeply convicted over their sin. They turn to God. They respond to his call. They go into the world and share his love and works of social justice and things like this. Those are called revivals. And there is actually, as it seems to be all things Christian, there's two schools of thought on, uh, on how this works. And I had to write a paper on it. One school of thought emphasizes the sovereignty of God in revival. And its point is, look, there's nothing that you do that matters. God will pour out the Spirit whenever he feels like it. So don't worry about it. Now, there's another school of thought. Charles Finney was the leader of the school. And he wrote a whole 800-page book. Maybe it was 600. felt like 800. It was real long. Uh, this long, long book about the methods of revival, that if you do these things, then God would meet the conditions and pour out his spirit. Well, in my opinion, for what it's worth, I think the answer is so often is somewhere in the middle, that both are, are true. God is sovereign. He does what he wants. But he also invites us to seek him for more of the Spirit. And that's really what Luke 11 is tonight. I know this is the longest introduction in the history of sermons, so it won't, we're going to wrap up here pretty quickly. But the disciples asked Jesus how to pray. I, I saw something in our men's Bible study on Friday afternoon that I'd never seen in this text, and I've been studying it a long time. And I want to, I want to share it with you. This is a very odd story. They say, will you teach us to pray? He says, sure. He he teaches them the Lord's Prayer, and then he tells them this odd story about a grumpy friend who won't give his neighbor bread. And the neighbor knocks in the middle of the night, and, and the guy, the grumpy guy says, go away, I don't want to get up. And Jesus' conclusion is, if you keep bothering him, one day I'll give you bread. Now, that's an odd story. And it gets a little odder. And then he goes into this thing about asking and seeking and knocking. And in the Greek, they're present active participles, which means keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking, and then you'll get your answer. And now we're really on theological thin ice because it almost sounds like no matter what you want, if you just go ape with it and wear him out, finally he'll go, oi, vey, enough, here's your, you know, that's weird. That doesn't seem like God. But then you read the end. You can't understand this passage if you don't read the end. Because this isn't a passage about praying for everything. This is a passage about praying for the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says at the end, after he reminds us how good the Father is, he says, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for him. Yes, there's lessons on prayer all through this passage, but the main point of it is that Jesus wants us to cry out for the gift of the Spirit, to bang on the doors of heaven for the gift of the Spirit, to ask, to seek, to knock for the gift of the Holy Spirit. He somehow loves that. He wants us to seek that. Now again, a good question at this point is, well, why? I thought 
I already had the Holy Spirit. Isn't that how you become a Christian? Yes, that's a very good question. You can't become a Christian apart from the Holy Spirit, right? Romans 8, 6. But we leak. (laughs) Scripture says don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Scripture says don't quench the Holy Spirit. Scripture says don't disobey the Holy Spirit. And I I know that's a bad metaphor because I don't think you can really leak God. I, I, I get that. But we can walk in the power and the presence of the Spirit in a fuller way and in a less full way. And so that's why Jesus gives this wonderful teaching to encourage us to seek him for the gift of the Spirit. And I I think what I learned in Bible Study Friday is right. I think the only way this passage makes sense, if you read it all the way through, this is about God wanting to be sought for the gift of the Spirit, for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, one last thing, and then we're going to end in a prayer. How do you know that you need filling of the Spirit? I have a really bad habit in my car of never noticing when I'm running out of gas until this light goes on. And then I think now there's a noise, too, or something that um, tells me. I don't know why. It's not like I just started driving. I never remember to check the gas until the light goes on. How do you know the light's on? How do you know you need to be filled with the Spirit? I would say think about one thing. How tired are you? I I think that's really a clue is that when you are so weary of trying to change yourself, trying to fix other people, trying to save the world, that you're just over it. That's when you need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit.